0: So you work hard for your money. You pay your taxes. Nobody's doing you any special favors to make ends meet. And then you hear almost every day about some big company getting a handout from the government. Cheap land to build on, maybe, or some sort of huge tax break or just cash handed over. Like General Motors getting benefits worth $3.5 billion. Intel getting $3.8 billion, Nike, $2 billion. These are spread across many years, of course, but what is your reaction to this? Is it outrage? Where's my handout? Or could you be persuaded that giving these or other companies special treatment sometimes, maybe often, is actually good for innovation and for all of us? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Eliminate corporate subsidies. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S., I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City with four superbly qualified debaters on our stage who will argue for and against the motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here in New York votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. The motion, eliminate corporate subsidies, two debaters arguing for the motion, starting first with Jack Abramoff. Jack, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Thank you. Jack Abramoff, you were once one of the most powerful lobbyists in Washington. Your career as a lobbyist ended in a national corruption scandal. Eventually, you went to federal prison for that. And somewhere during that period, you changed sides. And you wrote a book about your rise and fall. It is called Capital Punishment. And since then, you've been working with groups to reform our political system. Is that Herculean task even possible?
1: Well, it's possible. It's just extremely difficult because Washington's about grabbing power and grabbing money and grabbing things. And people who grab things don't like to give them up, as we'll probably discuss a little bit later tonight. So it's possible, but it's pretty tough.
0: Okay, Jack, and who is your partner in this debate? My
1: partner is the formidable Zephyr Teachout.
0: Zephyr Teachout, hi. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. So, Zephyr Teachout, you are author of the book Corruption in America. You're an associate professor at Fordham Law School. You famously ran for office in 2014, challenging the governor of New York in a primary. You did not win, but you got a third of the vote as a relative unknown, surprising everybody. And now you're running for Congress. So what are you concluding um, after this experience? Can you win in politics and stay clean at the same time?
2: It's really really, really hard and I'm going to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. We have two debaters arguing against the motion. I first want to bring it to Kate Gordon. Kate, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Thank you, John. So, Kate, you are Vice Chair of Climate and Sustainable Urbanization at the Paulson Institute. You are the former Vice President for Energy and Environment at the Center for American Progress. You have devoted your entire career to studying energy and climate change policy. It all started with cows. Not the animal, but the think tank, Center on Wisconsin Strategy, C-O-W-S, cows. What sparked your interest in the
2: field?
3: (laughs) Well, you know, uh, John, I was very carsick as a kid. And Ah. so getting out of cars and getting everyone else out of cars is a lifelong challenge for me. (laughs) But uh, at cows, I got to work on turning manure into energy. And, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that for a living? (laughs) Yes,
0: yeah. I wonder if we're going to have some of that happening tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your partner, please, Kate Gordon? Uh,
3: My partner is the wise and worldly Mike Lindt.
0: Mike Lynn, welcome to your second Intelligence Squared debate. Um, Michael, you are uh, at the you're a co-founder of New America and policy director of its Economic Growth Program. You've written a lot of books, including Land of Promise and Economic History of the United States. Uh, That emphasizes a Hamiltonian style of governance. And for those of us who need to brush up on our history, what is Hamiltonianism?
4: Well, in addition to uh, having his own Broadway show, Alexander Hamilton, uh, the first uh, Treasury Secretary of the United States, founded a tradition of constructive business and government collaboration uh, to further economic growth.
0: Okay. Our team arguing against the motion. And, again, that motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Uh, Now, this is a debate It's a contest of ideas and logic and persuasion, and you, our live audience in here here in New York, will be deciding who our winner is. And the way we do that is we have you vote twice, once before you hear the arguments and once again after the arguments. And the team whose numbers have changed the most between those two votes will be declared our winner. So let's go to the first vote. If you go to the keypad at your seat, take a look at the motion, Eliminate Corporate Subsidies. If you vote for number one, that means you support the motion. If you vote for number two, it means that you are disagreeing with this motion. If you vote for number three, it means you're undecided. You can ignore the other keys. They're not live, and we will uh, lock that out in about 15 seconds. And I just want to ask our producers in the back. I'm getting a lot of uh, feedback through my earpiece. I think there's an open mic, and I'm hearing constant conversation, which is fascinating. <laughs> and everything that you've said about me is really fascinating. But if you can shut it, that would be great. Thank you. Okay. looks like everybody's voted. So again, I just want to be clear about this. You're going to vote again after you've heard the debate arguments closed through three rounds. And after that, you vote the second time. It's the difference in percentage point terms that the team the winning team has moved up the most that will declare determine our winner. So our motion is this on to round 1 the motion is this eliminate corporate subsidies and speaking first in support of the motion Jack Abramoff former lobbyist and host of the television program Our Nation Jack you can make your way to the lectern that uh, program is available through Amazon and at Our Nation TV ladies and gentlemen arguing for the motion eliminate corporate subsidies Jack Abramoff
1: thank you sir Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. I have to tell you, if somebody told me 10 years ago that I'd be standing on stage in Manhattan, partnered with a progressive liberal Democratic congressional candidate, arguing against corporate subsidies, I would have thought that as likely as seeing a panda perform brain surgery, or even more unlikely, seeing Donald Trump within 500 delegates of being nominated by the Republican Party. So... It's an odd evening in some ways for me, Uh, particularly we're kind of an odd couple, Zephyr and I. Zephyr, of course, is from the left. I'm from the right. And yet we approach this issue together. uh, We come to the same conclusion. Not always do we agree on everything. In fact, this evening, we may wind up disagreeing on some things. But I think to some degree that gives us a strength that... Uh, builds our team in a certain interesting way because we both represent major segments of the country, and the approaches of these segments of the country, which many of you may share one or the other or somewhere in the middle, offer a consensus that something's out of control in Washington, that subsidies, unfortunately, and the other activities that go on down in Washington, some of which I participated in in my uh, former career, are really driving the nation in a direction that's very troubling. Now, we could actually have a debate tonight of what does it mean to be a subsidy, because obviously that's that's a very interesting discussion. Some of the things that I would support, constitutional expenditures of the government, some others would look at as subsidies. Other things that Zephyr might support that I would not support – I might look at it as a subsidy. So finding out what is a subsidy is very difficult to figure out. So I'd like to take kind of the potter Stewart approach, if you remember the justice, when talking about obscenity, which are subsidies and obscenity, and some discussions are uh, easily conflated, um, which is basically you can recognize it when you see it. And most of the discussion of subsidies really needs to center on the vast amount of money that is purveyed to corporations and to others in this country, either through giving out money or through tax breaks, and we sort of know it when we see it. Zephyr is going to come up, and she's going to make an argument that these things, these subsidies, aren't fair, and they distort the economy. I'm going to argue tonight and right now that we can't afford subsidies. We can't afford them economically. We can't afford them constitutionally. We can't afford them ethically, and we cannot afford them socially and politically any longer. Sure, it would be great if we had unlimited money in our country and we can give away anything to anybody who wants anything. That would be wonderful, but we don't live in that world. We live in a world of $20 trillion debt, $20 trillion. It's unfortunately something people have gotten so used to that they ignore it. But in, an, in a world where you have $20 trillion in debt and you have a half a trillion dollars in a budget deficit, the fact that the Congress is appropriating and the administration is giving out billion a year plus to corporate subsidies, and $100 billion a year plus to tax breaks for corporations and others, special interests. That is a big chunk of the annual deficit that we run. And in fact, we can't afford this. So we can't afford subsidies economically. We can't afford them constitutionally. And this is more of an argument, certainly, that comes from the right. But we have a constitution. And based on some of the recent political candidates, it's a good thing we do have a Constitution, even if some of them aren't necessarily interested in all their provisions. But we as Americans have to protect our Constitution, one of the things the Constitution does is limit the scope of our federal government. Well, people in Washington, and these are people, Republicans and Democrats, don't really care about that. They expand the scope of our government, and unfortunately, this scope has expanded so much that the government is basically in everybody's lives and in every activity. And as a consequence, lots of money flows out. And we shouldn't mistake the fact that when there's $1 available, there's at least 10 lobbyists who are chasing that dollar. And those dollars, unfortunately, the subsidies and the tax breaks, are made by public servants. And unfortunately, these public servants are palloried, by these lobbyists, are set upon by the lobbyists. I know this very well, and I may know it better than anyone in the room because I was one of those lobbyists. And I'm telling you that every program has attended to it tons of lobbyists. And that gets the ethical issue. We can't afford it ethically. It has bred, the subsidy culture has bred a culture of corruption in Washington where the special interests have tilted the playing field in a way that Americans are very sick of this which brings us to the we can't afford this socially and politically. I think anyone who looks fairly at what's been going on politically in our country has noticed something, that there's a rebellion out there, whether it's the Bernie Sanders on the left or it's the Donald Trump, wherever he is on the right, or <laughs> among Trump's Trumpians, uh, or uh, Ted Cruz. People are dissatisfied. Congress's ratings are so bad, their approval ratings are so low, That people would actually rather have a colonoscopy than be in favor of Congress. That cockroaches are more favorable to people than congressmen. That, in fact, and this is my favorite, replacement referees in the National Football League are more popular (laughs) than congressmen. And a lot of it has to do, unfortunately, with the fact we have uh, a culture in Washington about taking our money and giving it out to those who can lobby the best. And even good ideas, altruistic ideas, things that people say, well, the government should be involved in. The truth is, unfortunately, we now live in a culture where companies go first to the government to get their advantage. And that's our money. And should, in fact, the bureaucrats in Washington be making decisions that, for, with our money that people in the private sector perhaps might go into those activities and spend a lot more time and a lot more of their life being expert in? That is the question. I'd say the answer to that is no, that, in fact, our subsidy culture, our corporate subsidies are out of control. And while, again, I wouldn't eliminate everything, and certainly there are good things the government is doing that they need to be doing, and I'm not an anarchist, the culture itself is pervasive and, unfortunately, is corrosive, and it has affected the nation in a dramatic way, and it needs to stop. So I hope you will support us with the resolution to eliminate corporate subsidies. Thank you. Thank you, Jack Abramoff. And that's the
0: motion eliminate corporate subsidies. And our next debater will be speaking against the motion. I'd like to welcome to the lectern Michael Lind. He is Policy Director of the Economic Growth Program at New America and author of Land of Promise and Economic History of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Lind.
4: Bonus depreciation for horses. If you own a racehorse in the United States, you can treat it as a depreciating asset over a three-year period. Uh, That's insane. It's corrupt. It's nuts to treat a pony as a depreciating asset for business purposes, and yet that's part of our tax code. Uh, Our tax code, our our subsidy code, it's full of of crazy, stupid, horrible subsidies. So now you're thinking, didn't he get the memo he's supposed to be arguing against this uh, corporate subsidies, you know, uh, uh, eliminate corporate subsidies? Well, uh, my partner Kate Gordon and I, uh, we are not arguing in favor of every stupid, insane, corrupt, criminal subsidy by the federal, state, or local governments. Uh, It may very well be that most of them are worthless, uh, but you have to vote against the motion if we can persuade you tonight uh, that there are some significant uh, public objectives that are served by corporate subsidies now jack uh, abramoff brought up the question of definitions and the definitions of what is a subsidy vary the the very narrow definition is a direct benefit to a particular corporation or an industry it's a tax break it 's a, a low interest loan it 's a loan guarantee. The problem is that isn 't very much money when you define it that way as a share of the economy and of the federal government. So in doing our research, what we 've discovered is that people who want to drum up outrage about corporate subsidies have to throw in all sorts of other things which indirectly benefit uh, corporations, uh, including defense contracts, including the bailouts of the financial system you know in the in the Great Recession, and so on. Uh, We we will, that's fine. Whatever the definition is, our thesis is there are two kinds of uh, corporate subsidies, good and bad. Now, the bad one was like bonus depreciation for horses. Uh, You know, well, what are the good ones? What's a good, why would you ever give money directly or indirectly to a corporation uh, uh, to pursue a public objective? Well, there are basically three tests in my view. Uh, The first is, Would the company or the industry do this on its own anyway? If it would, then the taxpayer is being swindled, right? You know, this is just there's no purpose to the subsidy. So that's the first test. If they're going to do it anyway, then you don't subsidize them. Uh, The second test is can this public objective, and it could be climate change mitigation, it could be helping poor people uh, afford heating in the winter, uh, it could be uh, have, having universal Internet access, whatever it may be. It could be promoting, um, you know, nanotech innovation. Whatever the public objective is, could this be more efficiently pursued by other means? Uh, for example, could the government do it directly itself? You know, our, our government, we have a mixed economy. We don't have a purely capitalist system. The, we have a public defense department. We don't hire pirates, you know. We have a navy, Right? We have a public K through 12 system. So, you know, you can do things directly through government agencies. Uh, however, uh, in our country, and I think it's a good thing, much of our productive sector, which is really crucial to economic growth, manufacturing, energy, infrastructure, uh, is in, in private ownership and is driven by the profit motive. Uh, so, unless we're going to nationalize the factories and, and the oil wells and the solar power plants and so on, then the government has to use other methods than direct government provision to pursue a, a public uh, objective in some of these very important areas, uh, uh, which in, in most of them in the productive economy. Uh, well, one of them is regulation. Uh, the government has the power of command. It can say, uh, you're going to do this, corporation, and you're going to swallow the cost. It's just the cost of doing business. In the United States. And this is appropriate sometimes. We do this with worker safety. We do it with pollution. Uh, Just the company is going to bear the entire cost of achieving this public uh, objective and pass the cost on to uh, uh, the customers. Uh, There are other cases where you may not want uh, the company to bear the entire cost or pass it on to its customers because there may be a larger public good and it may make sense. To share the cost among taxpayers as a whole, instead of making the customers uh, pay for it all. And then the final uh, uh, test of this three-part test is: Do the benefits outweigh the cost? Because even if you 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 know if, if uh, uh, these other uh, tests are met. <clears throat> If you're paying more than you're getting in benefits, it's a waste of time. Now, all of this is very abstract, so I'll give you a specific example. After 9-11, there's great concern among the public, reflected in our elected representatives, about the safety of transportation, obviously. Uh, and intercity bus transportation, which has grown in importance between New York and Washington, for example, in the last decade, was a, was a source of concern. Uh, so the, the Department of Homeland Security has an intercity bus grant program. It, and this is a corporate subsidy in the purest form. It's the government writes checks to particular motor coach companies uh, if they will, uh, to help them uh, comply with these uh, federal uh, security guidelines. Uh, to my mind, you know, this, this fits all of the tests. Would the buses have been doing these additional security measures otherwise? No, because we know that because they weren't doing it. Uh, could it be done otherwise? No, unless we're going to nationalize intercity buses. We don't have a federal intercity bus monopoly. It's a private uh, industry. Uh, and is the cost worth the benefits? Like, well, you know, we've seen buses attacked in other countries, so if you compare the cost and the benefits, you, you may disagree, but you can, you know, this is a reasonable sort of thing. So uh, uh, if if the bonus horse depreciation is an example of a bad subsidy, I would argue the intercity bus uh, security grants, you know, this is one that makes sense. Uh, And so we just have to be very careful. Our opponents will persuade you that all corporate subsidies are a big uh, pile of horse manure, and it's our task to persuade you to vote against the motion on the theory that when shoveling out the manure, you don't want to mistakenly throw out any ponies that may be buried somewhere inside.
0: Thank you, Michael Lynn. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, Eliminate Corporate Subsidies. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. At the lectern Zephyr Zephyr Teachout, she's going to argue for the motion. She's an associate law professor at Fordham Law School and author of Corruption in America from Benjamin Franklin's Snuffbox to Citizens United. Ladies and gentlemen, Zephyr Teachout.
2: Thank you. I am a huge admirer of Michael Lind and often agree with him. Uh, It's uh, strange to be up here disagreeing on some things because he certainly challenged my own thinking. And it is uh, enjoyable to be here with a conservative with whom I often disagree with Jack. (laughs) But we we do agree on this, and I, I, I want to urge you to get away from the little examples and talk about this, not as a semantic fight, but as a fundamental democratic uh, fight. Because we have a crisis of corruption, a democratic crisis in this country, and a key driver of that crisis of corruption is corporate subsidies. So I'm gonna talk about three things. First, I'm gonna talk about how subsidies are used only when law and all other interventions have failed and we should recognize subsidies as a moment of failure not as a moment of success. Second, I'm gonna talk about how um, the, the rise in corporate subsidies has led to a devastation, a decimation of our small business economy which is the heart and soul of so much of America. And third, I'm going to talk about how corporate su- subsidies change who we are at a very fundamental level, who we are as business owners, who we are as citizens, who we are as Democrats, small-D Democrats. So first, very briefly, like Michael Lind, I believe that the government has a role in shaping policy. Should we be moving towards renewable energy or should we be moving towards fossil fuel? Do we wanna have universal high-speed broadband? Yes. <sighs> These are serious questions that I think collectively people should come together and answer. However, I think the best way for government to intervene in most circumstances is by setting rules that create the opportunity for those renewable uh, energy industries for that cable to develop. So when you have a subsidy, it's probably because you have bad rules. We should have better rules and less cash handouts. That's my general view. Second, I want to talk about small businesses. And I, um, you know, I really see, along with big industry, small businesses, family farms, as being fundamental to some of the best parts of a truly thriving economy. It's where innovation happens. It's where community happens. It's where new things are built. It's where we find the next, next thing. Well, we've had a 25-year collapse in the small business economy in this country. If you a- I look at what real small businesses are, they can't survive. I talked to a woman the other day who was shutting down her diner who said to me, don't forget the mamas and the papas. The mamas and the papas aren't getting the cash handouts. She said, I, I started my diner to get a- so people could get a cup of coffee near uh, Amenia, and right now all the big guys, she said, are coming in and they've got the cash and they've got the handouts, and if we keep going this way, Everything's going to look the same, and we can't compete. Now, she's right. She's right on the facts, because guess who gets corporate subsidies? It's not the Metro Diner. In fact, 75% of all corporate subsidies, 75%, are going to less than 1,000 companies. Just think of the 1,000 companies in the Kingston area alone that aren't getting that. So it's a handful of big monopolists who are using their lobbying power to go in and get those subsidies, and the small companies and the small family farms are getting shut out. Now, that isn't to say those big companies don't use the small companies as fronts. They'll march them in and say, like, 82% of, uh, of small family farms now get some form of sub- government subsidy, That doesn't mean they're actually getting the benefit. The reason they need those subsidies is because the overwhelming majority of cash, actual cash, is going to a handful of big ag companies. So we're using subsidies to compete against subsidies instead of creating real open playing fields. So what does this do to who we are? I think this is so important. I want to live in an economy where the farmer in Cooperstown wakes up in the morning and thinks, how do I get a ground source heat pump in so I can compete better? Not, what joke can I tell the congressman so he'll laugh so I can get some cash? Our corporate subsidy model as a way to do federal policy is turning us as citizens, as business owners, um, as as uh, members of our communities, into beggars, into sycophants, into people asking for favors instead of innovating, and think about what that does to our communities. If two neighbors are competing against each other for who gets the favor from the congresswoman, that tears apart community. If they're competing against each other with for who puts in the better ground source heat pump, that's great. Everybody benefits. But when it's about power and bootlicking, that undermines who we are. Our country was built on the premise of we need to build a society where everyone has an equal voice and is not afraid to speak negatively about the king or the person in power. A core, democ- a core premise of that is that we are no fear, no favors. That's, that's the core premise of American society. We had a revolution to reject the culture of bootlickers and flatterers. What I'm really concerned about is not the examples on the margins, But that as a whole, the way we are making, even good people with good ideas are choosing to make federal policy, is they're saying, if we give out enough cash, we can change policy, and that is turning us into a culture which supports bootlicking and uh, flattery. So I urge you, in this vote, for those of you who are uncertain For those of you who might find little examples that make you question, to say this is actually a core question about who we are, about democracy, about corruption, and about our future, and to vote for the resolution. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Zephyr Teachout. And that resolution, again, eliminate corporate subsidies. And here is our final debater speaking against the motion, Kate Gordon. She is vice chair of climate and sustainable urbanization at the Paulson Institute and non-resident fellow at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University. Ladies and gentlemen, Kate Gordon.
3: So I feel a little bit like we're at a celebrity boxing match, and we have the, you know, the comeback kid over here, Jack Abramoff, and the, the, the new kid star, Teach Out, and, and Mike and I are sort of the underdogs, but... Uh, But the thing about those those movies is that the underdogs always win in them. And there's a reason that we will win tonight, which is that we are not absolutists. As Mike said, we concede there are bad subsidies that should end today. We concede that government should be fully in charge of certain things. Absolutely, regulation can be very important, but most things fall in that Middle ground, most of you probably fall in that middle ground, and where you think there should be some well regulated government intervention when it's necessary for a public purpose. So let's talk about why we do subsidy. Uh, we've been doing it a long time. This is not new in American history. There's three big reasons that subsidies tend to happen. The first is promoting new technologies that the private sector can't get its head around. They're too risky, they're too new. We see a lot of that in subsidy through. History, uh, paying the difference between the value of an activity to the private sector and the value to the public sector, big reason we do subsidy, when the private sector doesn't ha- see value in a proposition and needs the public sector. And then finally, in times of crisis, the New Deal, of course, is a time when we did a lot of subsidizing. One of the big areas, and it's not on the margins, as, as Zephyr said, but really central, where we subsidize and have historically subsidized is energy. The top Good Jobs First just did a subsidy tracker. They're a, a, a group that does a lot of anti-subsidy work. They just did a subsidy tracker. The biggest subsidies since 2000 in this country have been energy companies, the single biggest one to a Spanish wind company, actually, that built wind turbines uh, uh, with money from the Recovery Act. So subsidizing energy is not new. We've been doing it for centuries. We subsidized the transition from wood to coal. We subsidized the transition from coal. To oil, today we are looking at subsidizing a transition. I hope away from oil, and towards something different. Many of those subsidies, in fact, if you look at energy subsidies, uh, most of them go to oil and gas. About five billion dollars a year since 1918, going to oil and gas. Those subsidies still happening. This would be a great example of a bad one. We give oil companies a manufacturing credit for drilling in the places where they find oil if those places are in the United States. Now, think about that for a minute. We're trying to give them the incentive to drill in the U.S., but the oil is in the U.S., so they already have the incentive to drill in the U.S., so it doesn't make any sense. It plays out badly. Uh, Montana gives this subsidy. North Dakota does not. They both sit on the Bakken Shale. The only difference is Montana's getting about a million dollars less to its citizens because it pays this subsidy. On the other hand, as Mike pointed out earlier, we also give low-income consumers a subsidy to help them pay their energy bills. That is money that goes directly to utilities to help pay energy bills. That is a corporate subsidy, but it's one that serves a public purpose that is not otherwise served by the private sector. To me, the big, you know, gorilla in the room on this is climate change. Climate change meets all of the categories that we have traditionally used when thinking about whether subsidies serve a public purpose. It is risky uh, in the long term. It will create enormous economic risk if we don't deal with it. But there's not a lot of upside to dealing with it today if you're in the private sector. Oil is super cheap. Why wouldn't you just keep using oil? It's even cheaper today than it was two years ago. Why would anybody switch off of it if they were looking at their bottom line? They would do it if they cared about the long-term impacts of climate change. That's not a private sector consideration most of the time. It involves new emerging technologies that aren't yet on the market, but that we need, and we need them quickly to build up and try to deal with this climate change problem. It's global in scope. It's global in scale. It isn't just regional. It isn't just one place pitted against another. It's everyone. We don't do that so well in the private sector. And if we don't take action today, and this is to Jack's point, if we don't act on climate change today, you don't want government in your lives. Just wait. We don't act on climate change today. We're going to see FEMA taking over towns to save them from sea level rise, to save them from heat stroke. This is a hedge against future government action. So climate change, to me, meets all of the categories of sort of what makes makes a subsidy good. And, you know, to Zephyr's point, I 100% agree. I would rather see regulation. I would rather see a price on carbon. However, we keep not being able to do that politically. In the interim, we are putting carbon emissions into the atmosphere. That is a public problem. In the interim, we need to be incentivizing people to build these technologies to solve this problem. That is where subsidies come in. So just some good examples. Subsidies for solar. Back in the 1970s, NASA creates the solar panel through a military project. Now, some anti-subsidy people exempt the military from this conversation. The military is the biggest subsidizing organization in this country. It, It basically throws money at problems and doesn't worry that much if it's a bad bet. It happens all the time. One good example is the solar panel. The microwave is another good example. The internet is another good example. GPS is another good example. So NASA creates uh, the solar panel and puts a lot of money into it, loses a whole bunch of money. Uh, private sector starts to get involved. The Recovery Act puts a lot of money into solar development. We now see solar 10 times cheaper than it was in 2000. It is now competitive with coal, which is on the decline. And that, and it now, I would argue, sunset that subsidy soon because we're now past mature, maturing technology and into mature technology. So this shouldn't be a debate about our subsidies, you know, are subsidies inherently corrupt? No. Should we deal with the corruption? Yes. Should we deal with Inefficiency, yes, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater or the pony out with the manure <laughs> just because you, you, you see corruption. To, to address one, um, one other, uh, I think, good one, you know, many people will point to the government's loan guarantee program as a bad example of renewable subsidies. You actually look at that program, the government did a good job with it overall. Three or two percent default rate on the loans from the recovery program. What was the one big default? Cylindra. What was the rest of the program? Successful. Better default rate than any bank. Better default rate by far than venture capital. That is a program that worked. And I would stake, you know, my reputation on this stage by that. So, again, I would just say you can't say this is on the margins. You can't say this is a semantic issue. This is an issue, particularly with climate change, a big, hairy problem. The private sector isn't equipped to deal with on its own. This is an area where we need some government intervention we would argue that you should vote against the motion because you eliminate corporate subsidies. These are the kinds of programs you're eliminating. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kate Gordon. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Please remember, again, how you voted at the beginning of the debate. We're going to have you vote a second time. And, again, it's the team whose numbers have moved up the most in percentage point terms from their first vote who will be declared our winner. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you in our live audience here in New York. The motion is this, eliminate corporate subsidies. And we've heard Jack Abramoff and Zephyr Teachout arguing in support of the motion, describing what they basically call as a crisis brought about by the atmosphere of corruption and unfairness that surrounds the practice of the handing out of subsidies. They are not against all subsidies. They say there are rare exceptions. But it's a sort of last resort use. And then even then, the programs are likely to be swallowed up again by corruption, by unfairness, by distortion of the marketplace. And they basically make the point that subsidies are almost anti-American, that instead of subsidies, we need better rules, pointing out that 75% of subsidies go to more than fewer than a thousand companies. The team arguing against the motion, Kate Gordon and Michael Lind, They are also not taking an absolutist point of view. They don't defend every single subsidy, but they make the argument that subsidies kickstart special key industries where a public objective can be agreed upon by society – but whose market needs are not being met by the private sector. they talk particularly about the energy sector in an era where there's a need to solve the problems of climate change, and they're saying that that's a perfect example of an industry that needs the kickstart right now to stay alive because otherwise uh, it's not going to happen, and it's a vital and important social need. Um, So this is a debate where... Actually, and it happens when we have reasonable people on the stage with a complex topic, (laughs) that there is a sort of big middle ground because this team is arguing that they want to eliminate all subsidies, but some subsidies are good not all subsidies, they want to eliminate most subsidies, but sub- some subsidies are good. This team is saying that they don't want to eliminate subsidies, but some subsidies are bad. So there is a question of implementation, but there's also a question of degree to be discussed here. And I do think we have issues to debate. Uh, and, and I wanna, I think the, the two that really stuck out to me are this issue about the inevitability of corruption and the issue of the necessity of supporting nascent industries that otherwise would... Fade if the government didn't get involved. So let's start with the corruption question. And I want to go to the team that's arguing against uh, Zephyr and Jack because Jack makes the point, I want to say to you, Michael and Kate, Jack makes the point that the, the tendency for any subsidy program, for the game, ultimately to sort of end up in the sewer is inevitable. It's inextricable from the process it happens time and time again, and that by its very nature, it represents a sort of unfairness for government to be picking winners and losers, and unquestionably politicians can be gotten to, and they are gotten to, given that corporations spend millions and millions of dollars lobbying to protect their, their subsidies or their advantages, and you can sort of see the argument they're making. So I'd like to hear your response to the sort of the inevitability question. Michael Lind.
4: During the Civil War, the Transcontinental Railroad was subsidized many times the cost of its construction. Much of the membership of the U.S. Congress received kickbacks from the robber barons. Uh, It's estimated that $23 million in in 1860s money was wasted in corruption. Within six months after the Transcontinental Railroad was opened, that money was earned back by the lower cost of uh, lower freight. Uh, So, you know, one answer is uh, you have to judge the things by results. You know, there's a certain amount of human nature. You're going to have people profiting uh, from it. Uh, But so then the question is, well, so what? Uh, If it's a good program? Now, I understand Zephyr's concern about the moral fabric of the republic, Mm -hmm. uh, but what if – the motive of most uh, of the members of Congress who voted for the Transcontinental Railroad uh, was to get kickbacks from Leland-Stanford. Uh, hmm. It's still a good program. It was an enormous benefit to the All country. Right.
0: So you're saying, you, uh, of course you're not making a pro-corruption argument, no, if we pro- get that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you are saying that a little corruption on the margins might be a, wor- a price worth paying for the benefit. That's fair. Okay, let's take it to Jack Abramoff to respond.
1: Well, Michael, uh, for a moment I, th- I thought you were getting ready to work for Vladimir Putin uh, with that <laughs> argument. The, uh, look, I, I uh, was in the belly of the beast uh, involved in the business and saw every one of these efforts uh, going on. And i got to tell you, a little corruption is not acceptable because there is no little corruption. As soon as corruption starts, everyone starts to become corrupt. And unfortunately, too many members of the present Congress, I don't know what the motivations were of the folks during the Civil War, and I believe you that they were perhaps corrupt uh, uh, motivations. So we have to deal with today. And today, uh, we have programs, virtually every program is immediately set upon by 30,000 lobbyists. Even in those days, I don't think there were 30,000 lobbyists. There were Plenty of them. In fact, uh, lobbyists uh, were created, uh, the term, during Grant's administration. People hung around the lobby at the Willard Hotel. But the issue of corruption is very serious because the um, uh, subsidies are the starting gun of the race of corruption in Washington. But, Jack,
0: to Michael's point, that, all right, he grants all of that. He doesn't like that or support it, but he says that, nevertheless, the system still produced the railroad and and subsidies still produced public goods.
1: Well, I mean, we also have a very different economy and different, very different world. We have a world today when people such as Google and I uh, 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 forget his name now, the fellow who does the private air travel to, the, to space, <laughs> SpaceX. Yeah. Okay? We aren't living in a world where the government is the only entity that can do things. We have many, many very powerful companies that on their own, without government incentives other than what their lobbyists can get them, can successfully okay.
0: let's look, uh, uh, prosecute. Let's look, Kate Gordon things. into the government.
3: Look, I would argue, uh, similar to Michael, but maybe take a slightly different tack, that that corruption is most endemic when government is weak. So we actually had a fairly corrupt government in the 19th century. We had a system here and in in England where people were paid according to how well they collected fees and taxes. People were paid according to how well they enforced criminal statutes. We changed that. We both imposed a civil service that that is educated, that is merit-based generally. And when you have a strong and merit-based and decent civil service making some of these decisions, I think you can actually avoid some of the corruption. And I would say, you're, you know, in some ways we might be talking about two different things. You're talking mostly, Jack, about Congress making decisions. I'm talking in the examples I gave mostly about the agencies making decisions. And I do think... You know, again, take the loan guarantee program. They have external counsel from the private sector reviewing all those loans. They go straight up to the secretary for a final decision. It's a, it's a process that gets used. It's not always perfect. But I do think that if you have a strong system, you can avoid a fair amount of the corruption. And, again, we would argue
2: let's address the corruption. Let's not okay. throw out the subsidies.
0: Except for t w-
2: With enormous respect – We are in terrible shape in terms of the corruption in this country right now. We are in terrible shape in Congress, where uh, members of Congress are spending their time raising money from people who want corporate subsidies. That is a major part of the job description of being in Congress right now. And we have a huge corruption problem with capture of the federal agencies. And that corruption problem is softer. It's not as explicit as the congressional one. But the revolving door right now with, for instance, FERC um, is extraordinary. The financial incentives of the federal agency overseeing pipeline approval – are to oversee pipeline approval. We have a corruption crisis. So yes, uh, 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 there are some examples of times that uh, you know, there are particular laws that might have been passed even though members were bribed. But at this particular moment, which is why I actually think there's real moral urgency to this debate, is that there's a real danger in saying, yeah, there's always a problem. Some good things have happened. We actually – it's a time for pretty serious structural reform. Michael, <laughs> Can I respond Michael to that? please yeah.
4: do. Yeah. Well, no, no, I understand the argument. The argument is that if you remove the incentives for political corruption, then you reduce or remove the corruption. The mechanism of corruption is campaign finance, right? So it seems to me rather than saying we're – you know. If we do less regulation, there will be less incentive to bribe a congressman. If we do less subsidy, there will be less incentive. Why not just address it directly, right? Uh, Because, and here's a hypothesis for you. Just throwing this out here, what if we had public funding of members of Congress, right? Uh, uh, And then after they retired, they could never become lobbyists. You know, know, they become professors or something. Uh, We might live to see it. Is it, not the, is it not possible that without being bribed, some of these austere, ascetic members of Congress might decide it actually makes sense, you know, to subsidize, you know, uh, SpaceX, by the way, just one data point, it is entirely subsidized by the government. Uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX... Uh, Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin and the United Launch Alliance are competing for NASA and Defense Department government contracts uh, to replace the Russian RD-180 rocket. This is a, a perfect example of a, to my mind... <laughs> Fairly successful corporate subsidy. Okay.
0: So, Jack Abramoff, one more crack at this um, corruption question with you, hearing your opponent saying that the, the subsidies in and of themselves, the giving of subsidies, is not the crux of the problem. It's the kind of campaign finance re- reform issue which remains unresolved. What, your take on that, again, as somebody who has played very much inside that circle.
1: Well, first of all, the corruption in Washington is, does not end with campaign finance. Uh, giving political contributions is but one method that lobbyists use and special interests use to get in good with members of Congress. There are so many ways that they do get in uh, well with the, the congressman and uh, for everything from hiring their staff to hiring the member of Congress. And I agree with you completely about shutting the revolving door and have been advocating that. But the fact is these folks permeate K Street right now, and getting rid of all of them is just not possible. Can when I was a lobbyist, I only wanted to hire from people from Capitol Hill. Now, having said that, just as if you have a sloth of bears and you put out some honey, the bears are going to get interested. If you have money, special interests, whether they are people who used to work in Congress or not, smell money and they come for money. And that is just human nature. And this regulation And, great and to you're saying it, it, it cannot world.
0: be regulated away. I mean, your opponents are suggesting it, it can be.
1: How do you addressed. regulate away human nature? Okay. okay, how do you get rid of human nature?
0: I mean, Kate Gordon.
3: We would, thank you. We would, uh, I, I think, agree that, that, and again, just attacking the corruption and not necessarily the subsidy. We, uh, campaign finance reform, absolutely, but also, to your point, Jack, also the subsidies themselves. We would favor greater transparency, public disclosure, accountability for these subsidies, clawbacks, where the companies don't provide the the benefits that they promised, particularly job benefits that they promised. Absolutely, these are all ways of holding accountable those transactions. But I think we would still argue that you can't, there are some public interest issues where you can't wait for regulation. And i got to come back to climate change, it's my thing, but it's also a great example because it's so political that there isn't movement on it on the regulation side or on the congressional legislation side, a lot of those deals that are being made right now are being made literally to try to stem the tide in that interim period.
0: Okay, I want to bring – go ahead, tea, Yeah,
2: sorry. yeah, I want, to, I want to directly assess that, address that. I do want to say I've been a lifelong champion of public financing of elections. I think it's absolutely essential, but I completely agree with Jack that you cannot do public financing of elections alone because if you create extraordinary temptation for 975 companies to go get those billion dollars, they're going to find other ways to do it. So so, so I, have, I have a question for you. Am I allowed to do this? Or is, are we not that bad? That, let's, oh.
0: let's see how good a question it is.
2: Okay. <laughs> so I, I, this is a serious question for Kate. Right now, today... If you can eliminate all fossil fuel subsidies and eliminate all corporate subsidies, do you not believe that the radical elimination of those billions of dollars in fossil fuel subsidies would do more than, than adding on to an already corrupt and problematic system? No. No. So you would keep the fossil fuel subsidies and just have less. She gets to explain
0: that. I would not
3: keep the fossil fuel (laughs) subsidies, but I would remind you that the fossil fuel subsidies have been in place, as I said, for over a century, which means the infrastructure that we've built for all of our energy systems and transportation systems is built for fossil fuel. Even if you eliminated all the fossil fuel subsidies today, you would still have an uneven playing field for the guys trying to come in and be competitive in that infrastructure. We don't do public charging of electric vehicles; we do a lot of gas stations.
0: Yeah, that's what you mean is that there are gas stations all over the country. There are gas stations
3: all over the country. There are major power lines. So you're saying that in order, to,
0: in order to catch up and get places electric charging stations all over the country, that the government has to subsidize the industry I'm saying that, that for
3: a time, there need, you need to support maturing technologies competing on okay. an uneven playing field. However, would absolutely support sunsetting those. Absolutely, I think sunsetting is necessary to well,
0: let, But let's take the point, because it's the other one that we wanted to move on to, and we to take it back to your opponent since you raised it. This notion that there are certain industries that, that it is in the public interest to support that will otherwise wither and die, and your opponents have used um, uh, renewable energy industry as a great example of that. One of them has skin in that game. What, what, what's your response to that? Are you, do you concede that that's one of those industries where you would um, go for subsidies or not?
1: Well, this is, where, this is one of the parts of the program where Zephyr and I are going to disagree. I am a conservative, and I don't believe, uh, based on the history of subsidizing solar, Uh, In fact, uh, Michael, I read a piece you wrote three years ago commenting about how the U.K. cut out properly their subsidies for solar, or at least I understood it uh, to be that. And, um, again, I'm against subsidies certainly for fossil fuels. I'm not personally uh, uh, perhaps as uh, wrapped up in the hate-I-hate-fossil-fuels discussion, although I do hate it when I fill my car up and have to pay the bill. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm coming from the other side politically. Uh, I just believe that as I look at the macro situation... Uh, that having subsidies for favored projects, that yes, I, I understand Kate you know, does a lot of good work in this area, and uh, she should be lauded, and I'm a personal supporter of solar <laughs> energy, but I'm not certain it's a good idea to have Washington bureaucrats making decisions that the private sector has decided is not necessarily something they want to do. Okay,
0: now because you've indicated that you have a division between the two of you on this, normally we like to let both Please. sides so respond. we can, we can
1: debate each other now. Let's hear it. And and since Michael,
0: you say, is sort of on your side, maybe we should move all of the chairs just for this round. But Zephyr, what's your take on
2: this? I I guess I have a slightly different view, again, with with great respect to Kate. Um, Right now, if we could get the predatory powers off the backs of people who want to install solar, of businesses that want to install solar – that we actually had a truly open, actual level playing field. I don't think we need breakthrough technology. We just need the capacity for solar, geothermal, wind, and a hydro to actually compete, and it would explode. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> so there's, there's two questions here. One is, if there's a bill up, given our current Uh, deeply corrupted, fossil fuel-dependent politics, is there a particular bill that Kate might be pushing that I might vote for? Sure, but I am not willing to go down the path of, well, you know, since we're all in this deal together where everybody's getting subsidies, I'm going to actively be promoting that. I think first we say much better rules. Real cost of fossil fuel, including health costs of fossil fuel, be embedded in the actual costs. Uh, better competitive rules so so that right now uh, a company should put a solar panel on their roofs. It'll be paid back in, within seven years, except for predatory utility companies okay. and fossil fuel companies that are Kate, pushing it down. Uh, you, you. Just, you get two in a row just now, Just quickly, too, so. yeah. Um, you know, two
3: things. One, to be clear, of course I support eliminating oil and gas subsidies because they're mature technologies and they're very profitable. Why would we be continuing to subsidize them? I think that test should apply to everybody, not just to, not just to renewables, right? Um, but, but second, you know... If we eliminated them all, would it be a magically open playing field, and would everybody rush to renewables? You know what they would do is what they're doing now, which is they would rush to renewable development in other countries, because those other countries are heavily subsidizing renewable energy development. So then do we want U.S. jobs? Do we want U.S. manufacturing? Do we want to bring some of that competition home? Yes, yes. Is there a level playing field here to do that? No. Are other countries creating it? Yes. So I think that it is not, it is not magic. We don't magically wave a wand and make it all level. We, we have to look at the reality. Your partner.
4: Well, Michael. Kate has preempted me. I wanted to bring in the rest of the world. We're 4% of the human race and about 20% of the, of the world economy, and it's shrinking. Uh, one of the central debates, and I'm surprised it hasn't come up already, uh, about corporate subsidies was the export-import bank. This was killed by a coalition of libertarian conservatives and, and progressives, and then it was revived by a bipartisan coalition. The Export-Import Bank subsidizes foreign purchasers of American goods, which mostly come from big companies because they're mostly things like airplanes and automobiles uh, and, and plastics. It's not mostly
0: because they have the better lobbyists.
4: No, no. It, 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 it's it's it, the product. It, it, no, but the point is... We are competing against European and Asian nations who view the government as the coach of their team, not as the umpire presiding mm-hmm. over impartial rules. Mm-hmm. And if we decide we're going to and, – and, and if in the long run we can convert the rest of the industrial world to you know, a, a pure free market view, fine. But until then, if we unilaterally disarm – then we're going to lose not only foreign markets but domestic markets, not just for energy but for manufacturing, for infrastructure inputs. It it does
0: take the conversation in a new direction. I'd like to hear Jack Abramoff's uh, response to that. The other other countries are doing it, and if we don't, we're going to be messed up by that.
1: Well, the last time I checked, it was our economy that's generally leading the world, and it's our economy that has been leading the world for a long time because we are an innovative economy and we're not an economy where the government is not merely a coach but it seems a player and the owner of the team, uh, which is what goes on, unfortunately, in too many foreign countries. I'm not saying everything that is done overseas is wrong. Certainly not. I'm not saying everything that's done over here is right. However, I think that we get into a very dangerous mode when we start viewing our government as our partner because this is not a good partner. This is a partner that comes with a lot of baggage in many ways. Sometimes our partner, unfortunately, gets into our liberty in a way that none of us would put up with as Americans, whereas overseas they do. Now, having said that, I believe that, again, I'm not going to argue I'm not an anarchist. I'm not going to argue against everything the government is doing. However, I do believe that the wisdom of the founders uh, certainly uh, has to be considered and that the constraints of the federal government versus, by the way, the other government entities. We didn't even talk tonight about the $60 billion in state subsidies, state government subsidies, let alone the local and the county subsidies as well. There's plenty of government to go around. One of the arguments we're making is the elimination of the federal involvement in these things, and I think that has to be considered. By citing
0: the founding fathers, are you saying that subsidies are un- constitutional?
1: Uh, Certain subsidies, I think, are beyond the Constitution, yes. I think when the government is involved in activities that are extra-constitutional and they're subsidizing companies as a consequence of their lobbyists coming in and making these cases, and I have to tell you, people who I lobbied with make these cases. Folks, this goes on. These meetings happen where lobbyists who are very persuasive go into congressional offices and convince congressmen who may not be Phi Beta Kappa candidates uh, that uh, that these things are constitutional, these are good, these are wrong. Right, and they walk away with a big check out of our wallets, and this is going okay, on constantly. Let's, let's, talk, a. let's
4: talk about the founders. Uh, Alexander <laughs> Hamilton wrote most of the Federalist Papers. He knew something about the Constitution. He wrote the report on manufacturers. He said that the federal government should subsidize a list of strategic industries through tariffs and bounties—his word for subsidies. He said bounties were preferable to tariffs because they're more efficient. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, then Secretary of State, opposed him. When pr- Thomas Jefferson became president, he explained in a letter that Hamilton had been right, Hamilton long dead, killed by Aaron Burr, uh, and the uh, Jefferson administration adopted more or less the import substitution pro-manufacturing program. So let's, let's you know, the, the founding fathers were not Ayn Rand. This is not, you know, <laughs> this is nothing may new. may have looked like Ayn this Rand. This is nothing they, no. new. Uh, <laughs>
0: All right. We want to go to questions from you, our audience in New York, and the way it works. If you just raise your hand, I'll just remind you again. Uh, I'll call on you. Uh, The process is somewhat random. If you're upstairs, unfortunately, I can't call on you because I can't see you. Um, If you wait, uh, stand up, wait for a microphone to come to you. Tell us your name. If you are... Writing or blogging for a public audience, we'd appreciate knowing who you're with. Or if you're a lobbyist, please. Or if you're a lobbyist, yeah, that's a good one too. Um, So on the on the aisle here, sir, and the mic's coming down your uh, left hand side. If you could stand up again, please.
1: The team against um, Ben. The team against the motion had um, made the point that there's a difference between the value of a good to the public and to the private sector, and that you could subsidize that difference. My question is, although I think anyone would agree that that's academically possible, is the government competent and capable of identifying what to subsidize and how much to subsidize it? Thank you. All right. That
0: sounds like more of a challenge to the side arguing against the motion. So let's take it to Kate Gordon.
3: Uh, Sure. You know, I've said a little bit about this before, and, and of course there are examples where the government is not particularly efficient. I think we could all find many of them. But in In general, you know, in the area that I know the most about, as I said, the default rates on this stuff are pretty good. The government has a pretty good track record of choosing which uh, energy subsidies to put money in in the renewable space. And, in fact, the program in the federal government with the highest default rates by far that is a subsidy is the student debt program. And, by the way, that is run by private companies, not by the federal government. So I do think that it's it's worth taking a real look at each of the programs. Obviously, they differ agency to agency. But, yes, again, I, I just don't accept the proposition that government is inherently corrupt and inefficient. As a matter of course, we see other countries manage their governments to be fairly uncorrupted and efficient. Germany's government plays a large role in its private sector. There's a partnership there. I think we have to to have the hope and the ambition for our government to be able to make these decisions and make them well.
0: Zephyr Teachout.
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh, thank you for the question. And I obviously do not think that government is inherently corrupt. I have spent my life fighting for uh, the real possibility of democracy. But your question goes to something else, which is competence. And I think that there's a particular area, which is choosing between companies Choosing which of those 975 companies has correctly uh, uh, filled out the forms, given the proof that they are going to uh, implement governmental policy, is actually the, the, the worst area of government competence, that figuring out do we care about geothermal or wind? That's an area where I actually think that there's a lot of competence, but picking and choosing between companies, which is inevitable when you're at the, at the beating heart of corporate subsidies, is actually the low point of where, um, where government employees should be engaged.
0: Okay. Let's um, – sir – yep. And it's coming down the right-hand side. Thanks. Uh, Hi, I'm Phil. Uh, My question is for those against the motion. Um, What is the optimal return on corruption that we should expect to see? (laughs) That may be about the most perfect question ever asked in one of our debates.
4: (laughs) Well, look, uh, the United States... Uh, as ranked by the World Economic Organization, is one of the least corrupt nations on the planet, which shows you how corrupt many other nations on the planet are. (laughs) But the fact is, the United States is a relatively high-trust society. Uh, uh, That's why it's attractive. I agree with Jack you know, for, for business to start here, for, for foreign investment and so on. Uh, so if you put it into context, not only uh, is the United States today, uh, you know, really far less corrupt than many, many other uh, countries in the world, uh, but it's, in, in my opinion, is far less corrupt than in the past. And and uh, maybe I'd, l- I'd like to ask Zephyr. I mean, she's written a very good book on this subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had the Yazoo land, sc- you know, scandal. We had, you know... Uh, teapot dome. We had a credit mobilier, you know, and all of this stuff. I was born into a segregated state, Texas, uh, where every Republican vote was thrown out by the local Democratic precinct machine until the 1970s. You know, I know people who in New York City in the 1960s went around with suitcases of walking around money. Now, you can claim that the corruption has changed its form now. But can you really argue that we're much more corrupt than we were in the past? Zephyr?
2: Yeah, I actually think there's moments of high corruption, and moments of low corruption in American history. The Gilded Age was a moment of fairly high corruption. And I think this is a moment of fairly high corruption. Um, And I think the extreme uh, inequality and poverty that we have right now and struggle for good jobs is a function of that high corruption. And I think that people are I, – I guess my most deep um, – my most deeply held political belief, perhaps, is that, that people are really smart and uh, are worthy of having their voices heard. And the, even though I don't agree with all the expressions of anger in the political process right now, I think that anger is legitimate because of the level of corruption in Washington.
0: Another question? I'm sorry. I'm actually – I'm going to confess, I'm looking for a woman to ask a yeah, question. I was going to say. <laughs> and, um, all right. Over Three, two, one. Over there. Okay, thanks. If you could stand up, please, and tell us your name, too.
2: to. Uh, my name is Nancy. Um, one assumption we have is that once a subsidy is in, it's always in. So can you give an example of a subsidy that's been sunsetted?
3: Uh, sure, there, there, are, there are lots of them. Um, this is actually a, a great example because just as the, the subsidies I talked about for oil and gas have been around since 1918 with no, no clear future for sunsetting, the uh, production tax credit and investment tax credit for wind and solar sunset every year and have to be renegotiated every year, which creates havoc with the development of wind and solar, I will tell you: you look at the charts of development; they go like this because no one ever knows as, if it's going to exist or not. So, uh, the, the renewable subsidies in general sunset all the time. Well, I
1: have a question connected
3: to this for Jack, if I may.
1: Okay, okay. can yeah. I respond first to yeah.
0: that? Yeah, let's do that, Jack. If
1: you your go only back. example of a subsidy that's been sunsetted is one that's renewed every year, I think we've got to no, look for a good. better example.
0: No. Yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs>
3: Jack, up for renewal, not necessarily renewed. No, no, no. no, wait a minute. He's
0: got a good point on that question.
3: He does. No, there are plenty of other examples. That was the first one that came to mind. But, okay. that, but there are several. You know, much, many of the Recovery Act subsidies have not been renewed, for instance. There's an example. Those are two-year subsidies. Most of them are gone. Michael, you wanted to jump in?
4: No, that was just my point, because at first glance, having it sunsetted every few years, you know, might seem great. But, but then, you know, it seems to me it would, would create business for lobbyists, right? <laughs> these, are, these are so-called tax extenders, right. so there's a trade-off. Right?
0: Okay. Let's uh, – sir, right in the middle, blue sweater. And the mic's going to come down the left side for you. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I, Microphone. Microphone's coming your way to the left.
4: Oh, okay. My question is to Michael. You made a statement that subsidies are sometimes good because you pass on the savings. I don't remember the last time savings have been passed on. I have a very thin wallet. Used to be large years ago. Okay, I do I'm gonna, have a statement with that question. Okay, okay I, need I you to believe get to it in
0: subsidies.
4: If there's a referendum only recommending Telling your elected officials. Sir, this I, I, is what I, I, you I have want. to cut
0: you off because our rule is questions, no statements. You've had forty-six seconds so far. <laughs> the perfect question was twelve. So just, uh-huh. just ask your question and you know, go for it. Ask your question. Or is your question where do we, where, well, where, are, the was, pass uh, where are the savings passed through?
4: Well, where the savings? Certain stuff. I you need know, you to. These are good. Because the savings are passed on. Where and does that happen?
0: I Give I me an example. I that would happen. Okay, Michael, and I think the, the gentleman's asking for an example.
4: Well, the subsidies from the National Institutes of Health, which broke the, uh, uh, decoded the human genome, uh, if that allows genetic medicine that gets rid of birth defects, it's a huge benefit. Uh, subsidies for maturing technologies uh, that lead to uh, lower freight costs and, and better transportation and less pollution. Uh, So remember, when we're talking about subsidizing business, uh, we're we're talking largely about a few areas that get most of these subsidies, energy, infrastructure, and manufacturing, where the result of technological progress uh, is is better goods, lower living costs, and better safety. Uh, And if it doesn't have those results, then it's a waste of money. It's a swindle. It's a bad subsidy. Uh, But it's not in the form of a rebate to individual taxpayers. Uh, it's in terms of a better quality of life if it's successful.
0: Is that a persuasive argument to this side for the subsidies that were just discussed? Human Genome Project, for example. Is that for Teach hmm. um
2: You know, there, there's particular programs that uh, Michael and Kate are going to know more about. I want to say that I, you know, I really support the, and this is probably an area we disagree. Uh, I don't know. Um, um, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I support. Uh, the federal government supporting uh, higher education and research. Um, I support the federal government um, uh, being engaged in areas where there are particular needs that the market can't fill. Those are not complicated ideas. I support public libraries, for instance. Um, That does not mean that I think that all, that, that this particular mode of government giving money to companies to serve um, what would be governmental or public ends is good. I think, in general, it's a deeply, deeply corrosive transaction, and there are usually far better ways to serve those ends.
0: Okay. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out for your vote. Sir. It's coming down the right-hand side, if you could stand up. Thanks.
2: Um, so it seems to be that there, there's, it's not a semantical difference. It's, it's a very valuable difference between technology-based subsidies versus comp- competition-based subsidies. So could the against side argue what's the line between something towards an emerging technology versus something that's just solely competitively based um, that, to that allocation to the company? Thank you.
0: Michael Lind.
4: Well, I, I think what you're referring to is uh, – and maybe what Zephyr referred to is where individual firms have to compete for grants and fill out forms and, and all of this uh, in order to and, qualify. And she said
0: bootlick something. in her opening statement and, <laughs> well, and, and laugh at bad joke. I
4: won't use this colorful language, but you uh, uh, become lick spittles, as it were. Uh, but uh, but, you know, but there's, there's a reason why they have to jump through all of those hoops. That's because the taxpayers – are of two minds, right? You want to promote this, but you want to make sure this is really a small business. It's not a front from Panama or something. That, so, you, so there's a reason why we have these, these bureaucratic procedures. Uh, now, you can make the case, as many people do, that it's better to have you know, industry-wide or sector-wide or economy-wide general uh, uh, tax breaks, say, as opposed to specific grants, But if you go to Federal Grants Wire online and you look this up, uh, the vast majority of these grants are fairly small. I mean, I don't think they're large enough to corrupt you particularly. You know, know, they're mostly directed to small business. And a lot of it, it's seemingly reasonable things. A, a, A huge chunk of it has to do with the medical industry. Uh, you know, some of the other stuff, like the Small Business Innovation uh, Research Program, uh, has to do with actually leveling the playing field between big companies and small companies by helping small companies do uh, R&D, which big companies can do out of their own earnings. So, so you know, you def- know there, there, there's something to the individual grants as well as the general regulations and general policies. Therefore,
0: weren't you arguing in your opening though that small businesses are being crushed by the? By the subsidy culture,
2: uh, absolutely. The exception doesn't make the rule. That um, m- most small businesses are are not getting an advantage, even if they are getting a subsidy. They're getting a subsidy that is less than that of their large business counterpart. Um, I, it's we, you know, we've really seen a collapse across the board. And although. Um, you get a lot of lip service towards policies that favor small businesses in fact the corporate subsidy culture is really really part of the of the reason why it's falling apart okay Gordon just uh, on this competition question they, we are seeing a, a shift in
3: some of these subsidies particularly to manufacturing to a more competition based model so the national network for manufacturing innovation does competitions where it basically looks for industry and academia and labs sometimes working together to have a product that's competitive, that leverages private investment, and that brings in, brings in partners for a public purpose. We're seeing more and more of that, that race to the top model, which is an interesting take on sort of, you know, a, 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 or a, a difference from these sort of filling out the forms and someone in some bureaucratic office somewhere sitting there making some decision. And increasingly, we're seeing, you know, real, tra- and I would argue for, transparent guidelines for what makes a good decision on these things. Does it actually reduce carbon emissions? Does it leverage private investment? Is it actually something the private sector is demonstrably not able to get into as a first mover but wants to add on if if there's a little bit of de-risking from the government? So I think there are ways to address this competition problem, and they are not getting rid of the whole subsidy culture.
0: I want to go to questions, so can you be brief in your response? Very
2: briefly. I think the uh, Arne Duncan's uh, race to the top in education policy is not a great example of federal government working well.
0: Down frontier, ma'am. Uh, Mike's coming down your right hand side. Um, in a globalized com- economy, are cor- corporate subsidies necessary to compete internationally?
4: I would argue yes, uh, particularly if you look at the world's largest manufacturing country, uh, which has now surpassed the U.S. In in size of an economy and also in leading a manufacturing is China. Most of China's major manufacturings are SOEs, state-owned enterprises. Uh, In addition to that, there's the Chinese policy banks, which will just shovel money at low interest rates uh, to their producers. So, uh, in a globalized, we have a globalized economy, but we don't have a free market economy. Now, if we had a free market economy, we could relax about this. But in a globalized economy in which the world's largest industrial country routinely rigs things for its own producers, either we get out of those fields of industry and simply allow them to choose the content of our economy, or we retaliate. You fight fire by fire.
3: Or just real quickly, if you don't like China, Germany provides a a a significant amount of worker training and retraining. And a significant amount of, of education, public education, and indirect subsidy to its businesses. It does that in collaboration with industry. That's a competitive advantage that Germany has in manufacturing.
1: Check, out. Well, I, I, I don't like China, and I'd like to get back to China. <laughs> I mean, We'll deal with Germany later. It's like a risk game here. But... Um, <laughs> The the China example is particularly interesting vis-a-vis corruption because if you notice what's in the daily headlines, which is executions of various people who are corrupt, and in fact the money that's flowing out of China is generally the middle management of a lot of these companies that are subsidized by the government. And I happen to unfortunately be very familiar with the process over there. It is unbelievably corrupt. And in fact, if we're going to head toward that kind of model, we're going to be in as much trouble economically ultimately as China would be as well model.
4: I'm saying we have to take our own precautions against it.
2: And I would just say briefly that I reject the uh, NAFTA model, the TPP model, and the idea that the horse is out out of the barn on trade and instead would say that we can have an extraordinary thriving economy, but we need a 21st century trade approach, which doesn't lead to uh, us being worried about corrupted uh, state-run enterprises.
0: A lot of horse and pony references tonight (laughs) coming up. Right down in the second row there. Third row, sorry. And the mic's coming this side.
3: My name is Shayna. Jack, in your first affirmative, you mentioned that we can't afford these subsidies. So I was just wondering if the side agains could elaborate on why they think we can still afford it, even with this trillion-dollar debt.
0: Before we do that, can we have, Jack, just really 15 seconds, what do you mean by we can't afford? Just reiterate so that we know what you're – Well,
1: I thought it was pretty clear. We're $20 trillion uh, in debt. Uh, we have to start getting control of – the expenditure of our government. The problem is there are lots of little good ideas that people go at first resort now to the federal government to say, let's spend the money on this because this is a great idea instead of looking at other places that might do it. The problem is all of that adds up to a crisis, which is what we're faced with right Your here. opponent, then,
0: Michael Lind:
4: Go to the Office of Management and Budget website. You will find that the U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio is flat, Between now and 2040, it is not growing out of control. The budget outlook through 2040, spending and revenue as a percent of GDP, Uh, it is flat for the next 30 years. The government, Jack, to the contrary, is not growing out of control. And what's more, if you look at discretionary non-defense spending, which is only 16% anyway, most of the federal spending is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid in the Pentagon, that is scheduled as a result of the sequester and various reforms to be lower in the 2020s than it is now. So you simply can't make this argument that the government is uh, out of control and we can't afford this. Now, if you think the government at the level where it is now is too high and we need to slash it, that's another debate. But uh, we have government spending under control. Uh, uh, the, national, the deficit went up to 9.8% in 2008-2009. It's now below 3%.
0: Okay, We are. thank you very much for your question. We are now going to do a small round that we refer to as the volley round. And in the volley round, one very specific and narrow question is put to the debaters. They have two minutes to answer the question in four 30-second chunks with a clock timing them. And when their 30 seconds run out, a bell rings that sounds like this. That means they have to stop talking, and it goes to the other side. And the order in which we're going to do this, we're going to go first Zephyr Teachout, then Michael Lind, (laughs) then Jack Abramoff, and then Kate Gordon. And with the question, you can answer the question, debate the question, challenge the (laughs) question itself. You may not like it, um, but it's, it's a way to sort of boil down everything that's been said before to sort of one key principle. The question being put to each side... Over the next two minutes and 30-second chunks is this. Should the government even be in the business of picking individual companies or industries to be winners, leaving the rest unfavored? We're going to give the first 30 seconds to Zephyr Teachout starting now. No. (laughs) You don't have to use the rest of your time. Let's take the question to Michael And Should the government be involved in the business of picking businesses to be winners? Yes. I, I don't get the chance to ring my bell here. Jack but Abramoff. I agree with Zephyr. Kate Gordon.
3: <laughs> yes. And uh, uh. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, the, the, if picked well, if they're good, if it's a strong government, we have experts in these jobs who don't have to deal with quarterly reports, who don't have to deal with profit margins, who aren't having boards breathe down their necks about making bets that are cheap and easy today. They can look at the long game. There's a short-term problem in the private sector. We need people looking at the long game. Absolutely, if, they are, if they're good and they're smart and we have regulation on them to stop corruption, yes.
0: You're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Now we move on to round three, and in round three, the debaters will make closing statements one at a time, uninterrupted. Those statements will be two minutes each. This is their last chance to try to persuade you to vote with their side at the conclusion of the debate. Remember how you voted again. When you vote the second time, I want to remind you that it's the difference upward in percentage point terms from the first to the second vote that will determine our winner. The motion being eliminate corporate subsidies, and here to summarize her position, supporting the motion to eliminate corporate subsidies, Zephyr Teachout, associate professor at Fordham Law and author of the book Corruption in America.
2: I'm a, a Langston Hughes patriot. Langston Hughes has this wonderful poem about America where he says, Let America be America again. Let it be the dream the dreamers dreamed. America was never America to me. And in this long, beautiful poem, when he, what he describes as the best part of America, which is really what I deeply care about, is this vision where nobody is... a uh, uh, a beggar, even if they're poorer, they are each has an equal voice. Nobody is a servant of the other in a fundamental political sense. And we escape what he calls the rot and ruin of our gangster death. I think the deepest disagreement with, I will say in particular, Michael and me, is about where we see America right now. Because I think there have been moments of extraordinary flourishing in American history and moments of extraordinary corruption. And right now, I think we are in a moment where we have a deep, deep crisis of corruption. And part of the reason for that crisis of corruption is a handful of new political forces. They call themselves economic forces, but they're fundamentally political forces. A handful of big companies that have taken upon themselves the job of governing us. We are in a moment where a handful of companies, Monsanto, J.P. Morgan, uh, Big Cable, are basically governing us. And one of the mechanisms through which they extract wealth from our extraordinary economy is through corporate subsidies. And one of the ways in which they develop relationships with those with formal political powers is with corporate subsidies. So I urge you to vote for the motion. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Zephyr Teachout, And that motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. And here to make his closing statement against the motion, Michael Lind, Policy Director of the Economic Growth Program at New America and author of Land of Promise.
4: Medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Uh, up to 440,000 Americans die each year from preventable medical errors. A uh, lot of it because of the lag with doctors' offices using paper records. As part of the Stimulus Act in 2009, the federal government has spent to date more than $35 billion in incentives to individual doctors, hospitals, and other health care providers. Uh, what's the result? Uh, in two thousand and nine uh, those using uh, the physicians using electronic health records uh, were only twenty one point eight percent today, a few years later, they are seventy eight percent the subsidy worked in two thousand and nine only twelve point two percent of non federal acute care hospitals. We're using a basic computer electronic health record system. By 2014, after this $30 billion had been spent, more than 76% were. This is a tremendous unsung success of federal policy. Now, there are problems... With the next stage, there are problems with interoperability, with monopolistic corporations engaged in so-called data blocking. So there are problems with it. Uh, But, you know, this sort of really brings it home. As a result of this particular highly successful federal subsidy, uh, your loved ones or your own life may be saved. And as long as there are a few programs like this uh, that are successes, uh, you need to vote against the motion.
0: Thank you, Michael Lind. The motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Here making his closing statements, supporting the motion, Jack Abramoff, former lobbyist and author of the book,
1: Capital Punishment. We're having kind of two debates tonight. One is about theoretically what wouldn't it be great if we could do certain things with the government, and then practically what actually happens in Washington, what happens to our money, what happens in our process. Unfortunately, I walked into those rooms I got to see as a very young man for the first time what that discussion is like when I went in at the very beginning seeking a tax advantage for a company that was trying to do something very good, something that meets all of the criterion that uh, we talk about tonight, and watched the political process at that very beginning when the congressman started asking for money and when the congressman talked about who had to give up their subsidy for them to get their tax subsidy – which was perfectly fine for the congressman. And I realized at that moment something's broken in the system. Shamefully for me, I didn't jump out the window and run away. I stayed there and watched it and participated in it. And while, again, it's great to talk about how wonderful it would be if we had all these wonderful subsidies and there wasn't corruption, these are human beings making these decisions. And they're not, by the way, the most competent human beings. It will shock you to know that your public servants, unfortunately, aren't necessarily the geniuses of the world. They're not all idiots, but necessarily, of course, there's both sides. Unfortunately, they have immense power. Washington is about one thing, folks, and that's about power. Grabbing power, keeping power, grabbing money, spending money. Now, again, I think our side believes there are certainly things the government should be doing, but the system that is developed is so immensely corrupt, is so corrosive of what we all believe, what we were all raised to think about our government, that the American people are rising up, and we just need to join them. Vote for us.
0: Thank you, Jack Avamar. The motion, Eliminate Corporate Subsidies, and here to summarize her position against this motion, Kate Gordon, Vice Chair of Climate and Sustainable Urbanization at the Paulson Institute.
3: So I'm technically a lawyer, but I never got to do a jury argument, so this is my my chance. Um, And and let me just remind you of the proposition here, which is a three-word proposition, Eliminate Corporate Subsidies. If you, that's an absolute motion. Yes, we can argue about semantics. Yes, we can talk about the margins. But in fact, the proposition is eliminate corporate subsidies. If you think that even one of the things that we have raised tonight on either side as a good example of a corporate subsidy, food stamps, low-income heating assistance, critical technology help for emerging technologies, Department of Defense contracts, any of the things that you've heard about that you think is good, you think one of those is good, you must vote against the motion. There's just no question. That's, that's the deal. It eliminates our corporate subsidies, is the motion. You think even one thing we've mentioned is good, you must vote for us. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Kate Gordon. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. And now it's time to learn which side you feel is argue the best. We're going to ask you to go again to the keypads at your seat. Vote a second time. <laughs> Same system. If you agree with the motion, eliminate corporate subsidies, this side, number one. If you disagree with the motion to eliminate corporate subsidies, this side, push number two. If you became or remain undecided, push number three. You can ignore the other keys. They're not live, by the way. Does anyone need more time? It looks like it's all locked out. Okay. Could I have your attention, please? Because Jack Jack Abramoff, I want to apologize to you. I was aware as soon as it came out of my mouth that I mispronounced your name the very first time I introduced you. And I'm sorry for that because that's really bad. Um, But fortunately, we live in a world, or I live in a world, where you can fix your mistakes by pretending they didn't happen and re-recording. So... (laughs) So, with your cooperation, I just want to give our editors the option to have me correctly uh, introducing Jack at the beginning of the debate. So, you may remember you were spontaneously applauding at the time. So, I want to say, let's meet the team arguing for the motion. Please welcome Jack Abramoff. We don't even have to do the rest, they were so good. Okay, so terrific. Thanks very much. I mispronounced Jack. Um, so uh, I want to say this also about this debate and these debaters. You know, it was a fairly arcane topic. Uh, I want to congratulate these debaters for two things. One is making the arcane pretty accessible. I think we all learned a lot today, but also the spirit in which, uh, again, two things. Um, they, uh, they were respectful and civil to one another, and despite the fact that they agreed on an awful lot, they actually <laughs> also agreed to debate with each other, so, and did so so well. So thank you to all of the debaters. Um, also, the, the people who asked questions, it was nice tonight that we didn't have to throw out a single question. Uh, we're going to, from now on, sir, use your question, probably put it on videotape as an example to future people. Great question. But to everybody who got up and asked a question and everybody who raised their hands and tried, thank you as well to all of you. <laughs> so I want to remind you that uh, Intelligence Squared U.S. is a nonprofit organization that, uh, that we actually uh, create and, and put this uh, uh, program out in, as I've mentioned, to the podcast and the radio broadcast in classrooms across the nation for free. We give it away for free. Um, and the ticket costs here don't come close, anywhere close to covering the cost for us. So we rely on the support of a number of uh, of donors and individuals who help support us. But we really want to start doing, you know, we want to go for the, uh, there's a guy running for President right now, who has done very well with the small donations, and that's inspired us to be asking for the small donations. So that was not an endorsement for me of that candidate. It was, it was a reflection on the process working well. So um, please go online to our, our website, and you can make a donation to Keep Intelligence Square growing, which is the phase that we're in. We're very grateful for your donations. Next month, uh, we're back on this stage. On May 4th, uh, we will be debating this motion, Hunters Conserve Wildlife. And we're going to be looking at hunting and conservation efforts here in the U.S. and also internationally. Our panel is going to include the editor and chief of Field and Stream and the head of an anti-poaching organization, an animal rights activist, and the president of the Humane Society of the United States. And what's really been interesting for us on our website, we let people sort of vote their opinion on this issue, kind of at any time. So we re- we, we posted the vote on the hunters preserve conserve wildlife motion a few days ago, and we've received more than hundred thousand votes on this topic, um, and and thousands of comments. Um, so. Um, I'm sure there's nobody organizing this uh, vote out there. There are, no, there are no interest groups. Actually, there are very powerful interest groups on both sides, but there's also just spontaneous interest on the part of, a public, of the public. So even if you're not a hunter um, or into it or know much about it, we think it's going to be a spectacular Debate, a spectacular uh, and heated evening, so we would like to invite you to that. We're going to be at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia on June 8th, continuing our series of constitutional debates. That's where Zephyr was with us the first time. Up for discussion in that debate is whether the executive branch has been guilty of overreach. Has the president, through a series of unilateral actions, usurped Congress's legislative power? Uh, our debater lineup will be announced on that soon. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, I've mentioned this before, we're a podcast. You can get hear us on our website. You can get our podcast through a terrific app uh, available through the Apple Store and through Google Play. And you can watch the live stream uh, anytime on IQ2US.org. We're also now working with an organizational called Newsy.com. And they, after every debate, produce a, a, amazingly a two-minute version Uh, of the program. And they're really good. They really work. They're going to do very well with that yes, no, yes, no (laughs) section. (laughs) It's it's going to give them a 10-second version of the debate. So uh, take a look at Newsy.com just in general. It's a great site, but also what they do with us. Okay. The results are in now. The motion is this. Eliminate corporate subsidies, Recall that you voted before the debate, and again, after you heard all of the arguments, it's the team whose numbers move up the most in percentage point terms who will be declared our winner. Looking at the first vote, eliminate corporate subsidies. In that first vote, 34% were for the motion, 15% were against, 51% were undecided. That's a very high number for us. Those are the first results. Let's look at the second results. Let's get the team arguing. For the motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. Their first vote was 34%. Their second vote was 36%. They picked up two percentage points. Two percentage points is the number to beat. Let's look at the team arguing against the motion. The team arguing against their first vote was 15%. Their second vote was 53%. They picked up 38 percentage points. Our congratulations to the team arguing against the motion. Eliminate corporate subsidies. They are our winners. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time.